1 Corinthians, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, where we left off last week. We'll pick right back up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, and we will take it all the way to the very end, Lord willing, here to verse 27. Now, Paul, here in chapter 9, in the very first 14 verses, was bringing an example of himself of what it meant to die of your rights or die of, of self. In a very practical way. He was talking about in that very first 14 verses how much he was stating his rights. That he had all the rights. Historically, biblically, common sense. Jesus commanded. It was happening in the Old Testament. It was happening with the priests and the Levites. He had five or six different very key foundational reasons why he had all the right to be provided for as a minister, as a, as a church leader of that body, to be provided financially for him and his wife, if he had one, to provide for the resources necessary for him to be able to live and continue in the ministry. But he chose not to receive that from the Corinthian believers. And that caused a problem within the believers, within the body. They thought because they weren't giving him money or material or food for him him to survive, that he was deciding to make tents and to make money and provide for himself, that somehow he's no longer, he's not an apostle. Of course apostles are supposed to be provided for by the body. Because so many times we found here in the Corinthian believers the religiosity or the tradition was overruling what what God was putting on Paul's heart in regards to the ministry. And sometimes tradition and religion can sometimes cloud people's views of what God is doing in the work in that person's life. And so how careful we have to be. And so Paul outlined very clearly the first 14 verses that he's stating his rights, defending clearly his right to receive material support. Now, we know in the scriptures that he did receive some support from churches, other churches, just not the Corinthian church. Church of Ephesus he did. But he was balancing his apostolic authority and disciplining because by love he realizes if he had received and taken those rights and received that material support... That was going to cause those believers, some believers, to stumble. And he was not going to have that. He was not going to do something in his life as he's out there joyfully serving the Lord. If that was going to cause someone to stumble, he was going to abstain or to stop. Or in this case, not to receive the financial support. He would work hard. He'd go out there like everyone else and, 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 and do tents or, and, and get a, that job outside the ministry. Because it was, he understood that it was more important that he didn't stumble someone in the church or in the body. Paul's priorities 
is what he was trying to help get across, that the things that were really important in his life was the fact that he loved the people he was ministering more than he loved himself and what he wanted to ha- or gain from the ministry. How important it is for us to learn from Paul. That it is much better that we give than to receive. That it is that you sacrifice your time, your resources, and, and the things that God has provided, and you share and you give to others for the benefit of others who have nothing. Or in this case, it may not that they, they didn't have nothing, but the fact that it was going to cause them to stumble. But unfortunately, some of the Corinthian Christians, and even today, some Christians have their personal priorities confused. And as a result that they have their priorities confused, they causes a result or causes problems within the ministry or within the kingdom, and it hinders the work of Christ in and through their lives because their priorities are not straight. Paul's priority was straight. I'm going to put others before myself. But so many times, Christians, we forget and we put ourselves before others, and we find that if each believer would just practice Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, if they would, if we would just practice that consistently, there would be plenty of resources available for the ministry for, this, for the kingdom. There'd be plenty of money to be given to the mission field. There'd be plenty of money or plenty of workers for the service of the work that needs to be done. There'd be plenty of work for the Lord to prosper wherever God is working. So if people would just practice Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it's amazing what would take place within the body of Christ. There would never be a need or a want. There would be things would flow very smoothly to be able to do what God's called that body or that person to do. But not every Christian does practice Matthew 6.33. Today we're going to see Paul continues in verses 15 through 27, and he will address and he'll give three reasons why he was sacrificing this right to receive the material support. He's going to back it up. He's going to sit there and say, I'm going to enduring for the, for the gospel by, God, by sacrificing my rights that I'm freely to receive by, by, based on the position I'm at. But I'm going to do that freely because I, it's more important because of the gospel needs to, be, to get out. The gospel cannot be hindered. The gospel must penetrate the ears and the hearts of the people that I am God has called me to minister to. So Paul says, I'm not going to, to receive, I'm going to sacrifice those rights. And he starts here in verse 15, he says, but I have used none of these. He has used none of these what? Well, if you go back to chapter, uh, in the first part of chapter 9, it's these, are in verse 4, do we have no right to eat and drink? I have right to eat, eat and drink. I have the right for you to provide for me. I'm so, but I'm not taking what you're, you have to offer me to eat and drink at this point. The second thing he's referring to here is in verse, uh, verse 5. Do we have no rights to take along a believing wife? I don't have a wife, but if I had a believing wife, I should be provided for, you should be providing for her too as well. But again, right here in verse 15, but I have, I've done, not done any of these things. I haven't asked for food. I haven't asked for drink. I haven't asked for anything from my spouse. I have done nothing and asked for nothing from you as, as a, from the body. 
nor have I written these things that I should be done so to me. So I'm not writing these in this letter here. I'm not addressing this in the letter so that I can kind of hint to you for you to start providing for me. You know, that happens so many times. People say, well, why don't you collect tithes? Well, because that's between you and the Lord. So if you're a believer, you know the scriptures, you know the commandment, oh, you're going to freely give. I don't have to ask you for those. That's just that's between you and the Lord. You freely give. That's between you and the Lord. Well, why don't you talk about finances or talk about tithes and more? Because every time I do, people think I'm asking for money. That's why you never hear it from me unless it gets to the scripture. And when it's in the scripture, I'm going to teach it. Then you hear about it. So it may be five years. So if you're only here with me for a year to two years, you may never hear me talk about it. But again, I don't have to talk about it. If you're a new believer, yes, you can ask questions. We're happy to explain to you tithes, gifts, and offerings. But if you're a believer, you should know the scripture. <laughs> you're going to do according to what God's leading you to do. So Paul's sitting here saying, I'm not writing this down so that you think I'm asking for money now. I'm, I'm good. So he says, for it would be better for me to die. <laughs> That's pretty strong words here. It would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting or rejoicing void. He's not walking around going, look at me, look at me, I'm in the ministry. Do you, I've, I've led 46,000 people to Christ and I'm an evangelist. It goes, you hear it all the time. Boasting with the wrong heart. No, no, he's saying I am rejoicing in the fact that God has provided for me materially so I can be freely giving and give and give and with no strings. I am not some hireling. You didn't hire me. I'm not, I have no strings attached. I'm not, I'm not, I have to think very carefully what I'm going to teach because those people will be upset with me and then they might not give me money in the next month so I can't provide. He had freedom, as we will say, to just... Speak the truth in love, right from the scriptures, and, and rejoice about it. It wasn't going to be void. It wasn't going to be stopped. That's what void is, right? Void is, is, is an emptiness or a stoppage of, of what was trying to take place at that moment in time. So he's saying, it was better for me to die, to just not do anything, than to have anyone should make my boasting or rejoicing void, meaning not be able to continue in what God's called me to do. Because he knew it wasn't some man or some woman says, oh, I think you should be a preacher and you should get up there and we're going to vote you in. And we're... No, 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 no. God put a calling on his life and he was following through faithfully in doing it. That's how it works. That's scriptural. Well, you can see as he wants to enduring in the, for the gospel. And he wants to rejoice in doing what God has called him to do. Because remember, the Greeks, in their, their frame of mind, their way of thinking back there and during this time in, in Corinth, was that labor was, was not good for those in the ministry. Those it, laboring, manual labor was looked down upon. You need to be over people, be in charge of people, be in a positions of power and prestige, and that included the ministry. And here's Paul saying, I'm going to get my hands dirty. I got some blisters. That you want to see my big blister from the last ten I put on? No. He says, I'm going to work. 
It's honorable, it's good, it's right. That's what God's called us to do. Right from the beginning of time in Genesis, he says, you're going to labor. You're going to work the land. You're going to provide through manual labor. And it's good, it's right, there's nothing wrong. But the culture sometimes tries to sway the church. Today is nothing new under the sun, is it? <laughs> the culture is creeping in and taking over the church and causing the church and the, causing the, the ministers and causing the people to do what the culture wants and not what God wants. And Paul says, no, no, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because this is what God's called me to do. And he continues, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul's saying here in his letter back to these believers, you just, if I don't preach the gospel, why, there's no rejoicing for me. That's what God's called me to do. I do it joyfully with gladness, and I am just so looking for the opportunity to teach and teach and preach to the people who God brings to hear. Because it's not because I, I'm doing it because it's a profession. I didn't do it because I looked up and I, as, a, as a college student and said, where's the best place to go with the best benefits and get the best title with the money guaranteed and a, and a, and a retirement and all these? It's a job for many people today. Why do you do what you do? Why do you preach the word? Why do you teach the word? Because it's a job. I need to provide for my family. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I just wait until the next person's going to give me a better job. And I write another book, and then the next church says, I'll hire you. You've got the best-selling book. Come, and I'll pay you so you have more money and a better title. And we'll push your books. Paul's saying, that's crazy. I say it's crazy. Paul's saying, I am not doing this because I'm trying to boast and try to provide some job and title and, and guarantee for me and somehow become more spiritual. I'm saying at a necessity because Jesus laid upon my life a calling to preach the word, period. And because he's called me to do this, he will provide for me. And he has great assurance of that. Where God guides, he, what? Provides. Don't forget that. Even though you may not see it, it is by faith and not by sight that we live a life for Christ. And he says there in, in verse 16, he says, woe. <laughs> This is no good. This is bad. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. That's a warning. Woe. This is, this is no good. That means he, Paul, would be one of those individuals. He understands there's a calling on his life. And for him to top, step away and kind of say, no, I'll never, I'm not going to preach the word of God anymore. I'm just not even going to be interested in sharing the gospel. I'm not interested in sharing the word of God with anybody. It People have tried that. 
to run away from the calling that God has in their life, and they find themselves in a very desert experience. <laughs> and they realize, I cannot not preach the gospel. I cannot not share the word of God with someone when I'm talking to someone. And woe to me if I do hold back what God's called me to do. God has a plan for all of us. What is that plan for you? And whatever God has called you to do, woe to you if you don't do it. Because you're never going to be content then. You're not going to have that rejoicing of the heart because you'll be out of the will of God. That's what Paul is saying here. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Then he says in verse 17, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if it's against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. See, some are not supported by the ministry. Some by choice and some not by choice. And if someone who's in the position of as a minister chooses not to receive support, there's a reward in heaven for that minister. That's what Paul's saying. I'm, I'm rewarded by God already. Why? Because I'm saved. God has saved me. He's given me the promise of heaven. He has said he's going to be faithful to provide for me. That he has a place for me, he's going to prepare for me. I'm going to be so richly rewarded. But it's not about salvation that he's talking about here. He's talking about the blessings that come from faithful serving of what God's called you to do. Do you realize in the scriptures that when you are called to do something and you faithfully do it, that you will actually be rewarded in heaven with greater responsibilities, with greater a position of authority in heaven itself. We see in Scripture, some might be leading and overseeing maybe one, maybe five, ten, fifty, thousands, based on what? Your faithfulness to what God has called you to do today. I do believe that the 90-year-old woman who's faithfully prayed, because that's all she can do, will be in charge of thousands. Because she was faithfully doing what God's called her to do. Where someone else who says, I have led 46,000 people to Christ. But it was with the wrong heart, wrong motive, and it was for self-gain. And he will receive nothing. No, no reward. God's ways are not our ways, and our ways are not his ways. So we always have to look at what the scripture says and stay focused. Because he says, even if it's against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship, a, 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 a responsibility, a, 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 something that God has handed to me, and I must take that, what he has handed to me, and do with it with he, what he has called me to do. That applies to you and I. If he has given you a family, you better be good stewards of what you do with your family. 
If he's provided you with resources, money, you better be good stewards with the money that he's given you. He's given you time like everyone else. What do you do with your time? Better be good stewards of that time. Because that's what he's called us to do. And he blesses those who faithfully does. In verse 18, what is my reward then? Then when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. See, Paul's reward is really clear right here. I mean, we also see it in in verse 19, that he gets to preach without relying on the support of any man, whether I might have rightfully, he says, to receive those material support. I have all that right to receive it, but my reward is the fact that I can freely go out there and preach and not have to rely upon that, that, that I can mightily win more to Christ, that I'm not going to be restricted or um, held back from being able to go out and do what God's called me to do. He says in verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. He's a servant. That's all Paul saw. I'm a servant. He didn't see himself in some spiritual mighty position where you're sitting up higher above the people and, and that everyone is, you, you know, you know, waiting hand and foot on the, on, the, on the minister, on Paul. He wasn't looking for anyone to come and doubt over him and, and oh, let me get you your seat and let me do this. and, every, and you Make way, here comes the Paul down the middle of the aisle. Make way, make way. That is worldly stuff. That is not how God sees, even though he has the position of authority scripturally, Spiritually, he was a servant to all. Now, I I circled in my Bible the word all. Because he wasn't a servant just to the board or to just certain people. He ministered to all people. There was no restriction. There was no boundary. He didn't sit there and say, oh... I don't minister to children. Ah, Are you kidding me? I only do adults. That's not a heart of a minister. I only teach children. I don't want to talk about adults. That's not a heart of a minister. That's not a servant, I should say. That's not a servant heart. Are you willing to serve whoever God brings across your path? Are you willing to be used by God to do that? Paul says, I am willing to do it because that is my reward. I want to be able to faithfully just share the gospel of Christ without charge and not abuse my authority in the gospel where he could sit there and say, you know, I am your pastor or I am an apostle, you know. I'm not just any minister i'm an apostle and i've i have gone to many churches and started many churches my resume is i mean one of the best out there so you need to pay me more money and that happens today unfortunately it's very sad to watch and see happen in the church today paul says no 
I'm not going to abuse my authority in the gospel. I'm not going to use my position to get more for personal gain. You're not going to hear me ask you for a $64 million jet so I can fly around and share the gospel. You may see that on TV, but you're not going to hear it from this bulb. Where God guides, God provides. And American has been faithful to me so far to get around. You know, you know it just, it's amazing how back here in Paul's days, how it can, it can be so clear in our minds how things are going in the church today. If people would just come back to the authority of, and even Paul's example, as he says, because he's really being an example of the life principle that he is willing just to do what God's called him to do. And he does not look for personal gain. In verse 19, we see the fact that he is free from all men, sure, and he can be a servant to all, yes. But he, in verse 20 through 22, you'll see that he even actually emphasizes a, a key point or a principle. He says, and I guess that's the emphasis to all that he's talking about. He says, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have, became, I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So here we see that Paul says to those who are watching his life, some will critically have a critical spirit and may say, Paul, are you compromising are you doing things and saying things just to get, get your way and get some kind of result from Are you compromising the truth? No, he was not. He was an ambassador. He had to know the people that he was coming and he, not only who he represents, but he also needed to know what the culture or the nation or the place where he was going to be able to serve him. You can be an ambassador of America, but you, you can't go to another country and automatically say, you're going to have to all be a certain way like I am. No, you're going to need to know the culture. So he's basically saying, for the Jews, I know the Jews. They follow the law. I'm not going to follow the law and the fact that I'm going to do those things that are traditional and things that go against God's word. But I'm going to observe some of their their uh, festivals and some of their things that they do. There's nothing wrong with them. Those are God-given. There was scripture in the Old Testament. We see that. I'm going to do those, participate with those in those with them. It's okay because I'm trying to build a bridge. I'm trying to try to relate to them to be able to share the good news, the new covenant. He was very well aware of the old covenant. He knew the law inside out. He was the Pharisee of, of Pharisees. He was the, the poster child of what it would be to go to school and become a Pharisee. 
But Paul didn't flaunt his liberty to those Jewish those Jews that he was uh, interacting with. Instead, he became like them. Paul primarily was looking for uh, to to relate to them in the fact that hey. I understand the law. I know where you're at. I've been there. I'm going to participate with you where I can. But let me give you and talk to you about the gospel and where the freedom is from these traditions and things that have been added to the scriptures that you shouldn't be doing. And then he says, I, without, those without the law, he's talking about the Gentiles. Those who didn't even follow the law. He wasn't going to go in there and say, you must follow a law, and you must do this and do that, Gentiles, you heathens. This is what you're supposed to No, he was coming in. He wasn't going to go out there and compromise and, and get drunk with them and all these other things. But he was going to go and spend time with them and share the good news of the new covenant, what Jesus Christ did for them. And we see that Paul was primarily an apostle for the Gentiles, Galatians 2.8 and Ephesians 3.8. But he never lost his concern for the salvation, not only for the Gentiles, but he also never lost compassion for his Jewish people. And we see that in Romans 9.3. And so for this reason, Paul, we see in Acts chapter 21, at the end of 21, Paul participated in Jewish purification ceremonies which he knew was not necessary for his own life but he knew if he was going to bridge a gap or bridge and be able to relate to the Jews and minister to them he was going to go through those purifications he even went as far as his comrade there little Timothy come alongside and we see that in Acts 16.3 Timothy got circumcised so that he could then help in bridging the gap and being able to be able to get in and work with and minister to the Jews. Did Timothy have to be circumcised? Of course not. But was he willing to sacrifice to be able to do it? Yes he was. Paul did this without compromising his morals or violating his principles. He just wanted to, to come alongside and to be able to have that opportunity for a doors to open up to be able to communicate. Chuck Smith says, Paul sought to win people to Jesus Christ by being sensitive to their needs and identifying with them. And we should try to reach people where they are today and expect to see changes later. I thought that was very profound. Because even today, as you come across and you meet people that are completely opposite of you, do you come and try to meet them where they're at? Or do you automatically try to figure out how you can get them to change so they're like you? That's not compassion. That's your convenience. God has called us to sacrifice and to see people where they're at, to build that bridge and to share the good news and to be patient and watch them mature in their faith over time of what God has called them to do, not what you've called them and put them in a box to be like. I 
I'm going to share this only in, in a broad sense. Someone went to a pastor's conference one time, and maybe their background was a little different, what they came from, you know, their background of understanding pastors, and you've you got to have an image of what pastors are like. And so we go to this pastor, and there's many, many pastors there, senior pastors, junior pastors, leaders, but there's over a 1,000. And you have this image, like, they're going to look like something. They're going to act like something. And when you get there and you see a thousand men raising their hands, and they're more tatted pastors and long hair kind of people, and, and they're not in three-piece suits. They're, not, they're just loving the Lord and worshiping and having a great time, right? And it blew the, the guy's mind because it was outside of the religious box that maybe was presented in early on in his life. How refreshing it is that you can come as you are. Regardless of your past, you can come because you've been freed. Amen? You've been freed to be able to come and just worship your Lord because you're, you're a child of God. You're in the family. And you can just freely do that. Of course, because God is a grace, a gracious God, a merciful God. We sang that today. Even our psalm that we read today is about the mercy of God. And Paul is saying here, I'm going to minister to the Jews. I'll minister to the heathens. I'm going to even minister to the weak. I become weak when they're weak. Meaning I'm not going to sit there and force people if they're weak and they're just brand new baby Christians, or they're not, I'm not going to force them to become something quicker than what God is doing in their life. When you come to the Lord, you don't sit there and say, oh, you gave your life to Christ, oh, the angels are singing. Okay, let me give you the list of 20 things you need to get out of your life today. Hello? Is everything out of your life today? And you've been walking for 20, 30 years. But we do that, don't we? We have this laundry list that we start handing people who are weak in their faith. They're just baby. Their babies are weak. They're still just taking milk. Just give them milk, Paul is saying. Don't force them to read Greek. Just keep them on the milk until they can grow and, and get stronger and mature in their faith. They will come along. The Spirit of God is doing the work. He's just going to use you as a vessel. Just don't stumble them in that state they're in. Because Paul did not change his doctrine for the Jews. He didn't change the doctrine for the Gentiles. He didn't change the doctrine for the weak. He stayed consistent with the doctrine. He kept consistent with the message. He stayed very much. He just made sure he presented it in a way that was palatable, in a way to receive where they're at. But he didn't change the truth. Maybe just how he said that. Because his focus was what? Passion for the people. See, we talked about it in men's breakfast yesterday. The love, the supremacy of love. It's a characteristic or a, 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 um, a distinctive of Calvary Chapel is that we err on the side of love, on the side of grace. 
Because Jesus was moved with compassion to the people. We as believers here at Calvary Chapel want to always be moved with compassion for whoever comes in through these doors or whoever we administer to. We want God's grace and his love to be supreme in the gatherings of our fellowship. And that's what Paul was saying. I'm, I'm just showing compassion. I'm going to love them. I'm not changing the truth. I'm just I'm going to help them where they're at in regards to pointing them in the direction that they can grow and to, and to, and to learn. In verse 23, now this I do for the gospel's sake. I do all this because for the gospel's sake. That I may be partaker of it with you. I'm with you too, my brothers and sisters I'm writing to. I want to be partaker of the, because of the, of the gospel. I want to have the rewards that come from being faithful to what God's called me to do. I want to go out and help other people. I want to have compassion. I want to be able to minister to all people. I don't want to be limited in my, what God has for me. I want the gift and the gifts that God has given me to be used in a mighty way for the body of Christ. But he continues in verse 24 through 27, he says, it kind of alludes to a danger of losing that reward that God would have, those crowns of, of glory that he would have for us in heaven He's, because of a lack of self-control. He says here in verse 24, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So he loves, Paul, if you, if you studied Paul and in, in, in the epistles there, he loves to use athletic scenes all the time in regards to getting across uh, his points. At least 12 different references in his letters talks about runners and boxers and gladiators and chariot racers and trophies. He loves to use that because in Corinth, here is a place who had the the the. You know, not the Olympic Games, but the, the Ismithan Games, the second most important games that are out there in those times. So running races was a big, it was part of their culture. So he was using that to bridge a gap to them, to get a point across to them. It's just like racing. You know all about that. You go to these games all the time. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you would may obtain it. Paul would say, here's why I let go of my liberty. Here's why I let go of my rights. And I understand and I keep my eyes on the big picture here. Get across, Paul saying, I know what my rights are. I can receive from you. But I'm going to take a bigger picture here. I've got a picture of eternity. And because of eternity, I don't want to stumble anyone. Because of eternity, I'm willing to work harder and make tents to provide for me. And I, because of eternity, I want to have the freedom to be able to minister to all people. I don't want to be restricted in any way. I want to remember, because remember, Paul, in Acts 14, 19 was taken up. Remember, he was left outside of the city of Lystra. He was at a point of death where Paul was caught up into the third heaven and saw the an incredible awestruck scene of heaven. A sneak preview of what was to come. And now he comes out of that, 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 that view, what God has shown him. He comes back. That was a life-changing event for Paul. 
And then if you see in the scriptures, the epistles, you see his life change from that moment when God gave him and said, now you understand eternity a little bit more. And when you have eternity in focus, and there is a clarity of eternity, you know what happens to you and I? The things of this world go dim. They don't become as important the resources that God has blessed you with, you're not thinking of it for just yourself any longer. You're saying, God, what do you have? You've blessed me with all these resources, the time, the money, the resources, the, the wisdom. What do you want me to use it for, for your kingdom before eternity's sake? That's what Paul understood here. That was their life changing. You're going to be in a race. You're going to be given the rules. Remember, they understand the rules. One of the rules is that you must, in this sports day, you had to have a, be on a certain diet. You had to be in training for 10 months to be able to participate in this race. You had to discipline yourself to be able to participate in the race. You couldn't just sit there and go by feelings and say, oh, I feel like racing today. They weren't going to take you. You weren't going to qualify. There was going to be no reward for you because you had to meet the qualification. You had to follow the rules. You just couldn't go in and make the rules up as you go. So Paul is saying here, running, you have to have this faithful service to God. You must, it's a race. It's going to be, it's not a sprint. It's a long-term race. And God determines how long that race will be. You don't go in there and say, I'm going to sign up for a race. It's a 5K. And you look there and go, you know, I know you're the judge of the race. I know you make the rules of the race. I know this is, you've got the, it's all lined out what we're supposed to do. And you got the course lined up a 5K. But I've decided I'm only going to run a 2K. I don't feel like running a 5K today. And I don't, I don't like the, I don't like hills. So I'm just going to cut past the hill or have someone drive me up the hill. Because I want to do it my way. But I still want the prize at the end. I still want to get rewarded with the 5K. Even though I didn't do the 5K. Or I didn't run the 5K. And I didn't do it the right. But that's how people do it today, aren't they? I want to be saved. I want eternity. I want to go to heaven. But I just want to do it my way. I don't want to do it by the rules. You tell me there's one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. But I don't like that. I want to do it my way. Well, then you're not in the right race. You're in a worldly race. You're not in an eternity race. And Paul says, I don't want to not receive a prize. And it's a faithful service to God, that's the run for you and I as a believer. And that prize is not salvation. You're saved. You're in the race. But what he's referring to is the heavenly rewards that come from being faithful in doing what God's called you to do. When he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. Oh, how I look forward I do hope you look forward to hearing those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. What's the qualifications here at Calvary Chapel to serve? You're a believer. 
You're in the race. And you're going to be faithful. Well, I don't have this background. Oh, I don't care. But I haven't read the Bible all the way through. I don't care. I can't quote everything by memory. I have to, I have, it takes me a while. I don't care. You're a believer and you're going to be faithful. Right on, man. Because the Holy Spirit's going to do the rest. You're going to be so weak, you're going to be completely on your knees all the time, relying upon the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the work of the ministry. You're not going to be relying upon yourself. That's who I want around me. Because I know they're going to be 100% relying upon the Holy Spirit to do what God's called them to do. And not on their own abilities. And verse 25 says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. Self-controlled, keeps it in the boundaries, self-denial, it, it, it's, it, it's good, it's, it, there's boundaries, temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but, for, but we for an imperishable crown. See, people in this world today, they'll try to have self-control because their boss tells them to. Or they're going to lose their job. And there's always these things. But they're trying to strive to obtain these things for this perishable crown. These perishable crowns being a, a better house or a better car or more trips. And, you know, they do all kinds of things to work. But it's perishable. It's going to flee. It's all going to burn. But Paul says, but we, we are going to be faithful in doing what God's called to us to do. Not for the things that's perishing. But we're going to do it for an imperishable crown. Things that are going to last for eternity. That's what you need to keep your focus on. That's what's important. As an athlete must be disciplined if he's going to win the prize. And discipline means giving up the good. I'm going to give up the good. I'm going to give up the better. I'm going to wait for the what? The best. Temporary Pleasure is not the best. Being in his, God's perfect will is the best. Being in his permissible will is just only good. Which one would you like? Christians must understand that as we went, run this race, as, as a child of God, and we're running the race, let us be faithful in our service to God and enduring, enduring the long stretch, the difficult course that you're on for the sake of the gospel. To be that light, to be that witness, to be used by God to people to see your life, and that would lead them to him. Because your race will speak to the lives of people around you. And then when they come to you and say, how were you able to continue in the race? And you say, because it's by the grace of God. It's by the love of God. And let me share with you the good news. <laughs> and they'll receive. And they too become a child of God. That is what he's saying here. It's about an imperishable eternity. Verse 26, therefore... Paul's saying, therefore, I run. Thus I run. Not with uncertainty. 
He's not saying here, I'm going to become a child of God. I heard what he wants me to do. He wants me to share the good news. And he wants me to encourage uh, my brothers and sisters in the faith and building them up and, and edifying them in, in, in the word. I know my, my, my mission. I know my purpose. He's given me a wife. I know what the scripture says about uh, coming alongside and ministering to her and, 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 and ministering with the word of God and watering her. And, and he's given me the ministry of children and training up in the ways of the Lord. I know I got that. I got that. I got that. Paul's saying here, therefore, as I run faithfully in what God's called me to do, it's not with uncertainty. I am confident what the course is. I know where I am today in the course, and I know where I will be. But God, course is straight, and it's lit, and he will guide me the whole course. I don't have to be uncertain. He even says, thus I fight. Because I run, I know with confidence what God is going to do and where he's taking me, to heaven. That means I can fight every day for him. Because it's going to be a spiritual warfare. It's going to be a fight. And he says, thus I fight, not as one who beats in the air. I'm not waking up in the morning going, I don't know what to do. And I feel like I'm being hit from all sides. The pressure and people are ganging up on me. And the, and the things are just not going right. Paul's saying, I don't have to punch in the air. I know exactly where to hit. Because I don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities in the darkness of this world. So I go to prayer, I go to my knees, and I go to God, and he helps me fight my battles. Satan has not won, he has lost. I know this, so why do I think he has the power over me? He does not. The demonic forces in darkness around me seems to, seem to be fighting me, but I, I have victory. Because Jesus died on the cross. I have victory. I don't have to act and punch in the air like I don't know what to, what to do next. I am very certain of my race and where God has me going. Because I am in the palm of his hand. And no man will snatch me out of his hands. Such confidence that Paul has here. And for you and for us. And in verse 27, but I discipline my body, though. I'm not naive. I'm not crazy. I'm not, I'm not losing it here. I know I have certainty in my race. I know I can boldly fight to the very end because God's going to give me the power to fight. But he says, as a believer, he understands. <laughs> he has a man. He understands. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. If I don't, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Wow. As a minister, as the one that preaches the gospel, that verse sends me to my core. Because I'm up here preaching the week after week after week of what God's truth is. And like Paul, I'm going to discipline my body. I am going to bring every thought under captivity. I am going to, because if I don't, I too, like Paul, could find myself 
compromising, walking away from the truth and the power of the Spirit of God empowering me, and I could be vulnerable to the attacks and the, the things that will come against me in this world. And I could fall. And look at what the rippling effect would have had on the ministry. I, my Paul says, I myself should become disqualified. To get a black eye. That's what he's saying there. I'd get a black eye. It would be obviously something everyone would look in, look in your, Paul's face and say, man, look at the black eye you got. You got smacked, man. And then what do they ask next? What happened? <laughs> right? That's always the next question. You get a black guy, they always ask the next question. How did it happen? Tough, tough conversation, isn't it not? Paul is saying, if you're going to be a servant, and you're going to be a servant of all, I am not going to stand up here and just preach to you. I'm actually going to live it in my own life. I will do what I say. It will not just be words. You will see it in my life, Paul said. And it won't be just at the synagogue. It won't be just out on the streets. It will be in my house. It will be in the neighbor's house. It will be wherever I go I will be the same because I do not want anything to happen. See, because the natural man is dominated by the flesh. When you're, before you're saved, your flesh dominates. It's on top. It dominates your soul, your emotions, your mind, your thinking. It controls your spirit is, is, is just there. It's just not alive. It's not been, your life has not been filled with the Holy Spirit. The spirit is just overpowered by the flesh when you're not saved. Your emotions dictate. Others can dictate through their emotions and manipulation. It just dictates. You can just be swayed by things. The weather dictates you. Oh, it's snowing. Oh, no. Oh, me. You know, you're just, the world's coming down. And you haven't even been outside to even see it for yourself. If you looked at your little app. But when you become a child of God and you become a believer, your whole life turns upside down in the right way now. Your spirit now is dominant over your soul. And your flesh is brought under discipline, brought under control. And now you're walking in the spirit and in truth. And now you're able to make wise decisions and many times keep away from things that are going to cause a problem for you. But it's a choice, is it not? The choice of turning yourself to Jesus and asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to keep you to say no. That's what I mean by the choice. 
So many people rely upon their own choices. And they wonder why they're not empowered to say no to the things that temptations that come their way. We've watched many great men fall because of temptation. And look at the rippling effect that it's had on society, on this country, on our congregation. Because, as Paul says, I discipline my body. It's a race. I'm going to not allow things into my life that's going to cause me to compromise. Because if I'm going to be an example, a leader in the environment that God places me, a boss, head of a crew, your family, you must discipline your body. You must discipline the mind by coming and being in the word and trusting in the Holy Spirit to do that. Because if you don't, you will, you will fall. And you will bring down everybody who look towards you as leader, as a leader. You will bring, you'll bring them down with you. And you just cannot allow that to happen. Especially as a Christian leader. You just cannot allow that to happen. Paul understood it. Because back to Matthew 6.33, if you were wondering, what is it that we should be practicing for this all to come, to come together? 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Practice that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Practice it. Discipline yourself doing it. And you'll watch everything that Paul was saying here come into line and it will realign your priorities in your life and in your family and what God is going to do in you and through your life. Enduring for the gospel. That is what God's called you and I to do. 